the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Joshua. Praise to the God who reigns above. God had proven his power and his mercy time and time again. He had brought the Israelites out of their enslavement in Egypt and brought them through the wilderness of their wanderings and disobedience. They made it to the edge of the land promised to them, and Moses gave his farewell address in the book of Deuteronomy. God made Joshua the son of Nun, the leader over the nation of Israel. They crossed the Jordan River during its swell season. Once across, the Israelites received victory over the walled city of Jericho, sparing Rahab and her family. Then, God gave the Israelites victory over the city of Ai and Bethel. The rest of the land of Canaan feared the one true living God. We join Pastor Will in Joshua chapter 9, verse 1. Remember the whole theme of the book of Joshua is victory in Jesus. It's a manual, you could say, for how to walk in the victory that Christ purchased for us on the cross. So he is secured for us as it's yours. You can walk in the spirit and not fulfill the desires of the flesh. It's a promise. And so we want to know this book and the lessons that it teaches us about how to experience that victory, how to walk in that victory. Now, up to this point, through eight chapters of Joshua, Israel has had both successes and failures. At Jericho, there was the great success of trusting God, obeying him, and the walls came down. And then, of course, there was the great failure that Achan had, where he stole from the goods that were dedicated to the Lord. We had the great failure at Ai, where they trust in themselves, do things their way. And then they have the great success, where they go to the Lord and fix things and seek his face and do things the right way. And you know, that probably mirrors our Christian's life, doesn't it? We have successes and failures. And so the goal is to learn from the book of Joshua so that we repeat their successes and avoid their mistakes so that we can walk in the victory that Christ won for us. Now, while Israel fixed their mistake at Ai by doing things the right way, you know, the second time, they've still got lessons to learn. And tonight we're going to see them learn the danger of trusting yourself instead of going to the Lord when you've got a situation. So chapter 9, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass... When all the kings which were on this side Jordan in the hills and in the valleys and all the coasts of the great sea over against Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite heard thereof. They heard what God had done to Ai and to Bethel. So they gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua and with Israel with one accord. So we see now that the Canaanites, who had been kind of stupefied by the fear of God, um, the fear of Israel into no action, have now all of a sudden decided to take some action. And most of them form this alliance. It mentions here that all the Canaanites that were on this side, Jordan, the hills, the valleys, 
south of Lebanon. So these are not the northern uh, Canaanites. These are the southern Canaanites. When they heard about the defeat of Ai and Bethel, they band together. Now, Joshua 5.1 told us that after God dried up the Jordan River for Israel to cross, that every one of these kings became so dismayed that they couldn't do anything to respond to the invading Israelites. But they do eventually recover from that panic. So Jericho and Ai's defeat convinced them that their only chance is to join forces. They can't face Israel one at a time. And so they join forces. And with Israel celebrating in the valley between Mount Ebal and Gerizim, that's where we left them in chapter 8, they figure the time to strike is now. Israel's not expecting an attack. They're vulnerable. They're in a valley. Let's hit them. But the problem is one very large nation does not join in the alliance, the Gibeonites. So before we get to the confrontation that these kings have with Israel, we need to look at what the Gibeonites did. They're going to take action in regards to Israel, but it's not to form an alliance with the other nations. Verse 3. And when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and Ai, that they did work wilily. You got to have a King James Bible just so you can read the word wilily. You don't see that word today. They did work wilily and went and made as if they had been ambassadors. And they took old sacks upon their donkeys and wine bottles, old and torn and bound up, and old shoes and clouded upon their feet and old garments upon them. And all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua unto the camp at Gilgal and said unto him and to the men of Israel, we become from a far country. Now therefore make you a league with us. Now here we're introduced to these Gibeonites. Gibeon, the city, is about seven miles southwest of Ai. It was the next major target if Israel was going to press into the Judean hills next. Archaeology shows that Gibeon was a thriving industrial area at this time. With an elevation of 2,400 feet, it towered above most other cities, making it easily defended. Now, Gibeon was a republic with three other towns, so this is not a weak nation. This is a prosperous, strong people, but they decide to opt out of this alliance. But they do still have a problem. They're Hivites. They're part of the group of people under God's judgment, under God's ban, that had 400 years to repent and didn't. So what's their plan to escape the judgment of God since they've decided to not align with the other kings? Well, it says they did work wilily. It means to premeditate a, a trick, to premeditate a ploy to trick someone. And so they send this group that as if they had been ambassadors, they are a delegation, like a part of a nation, but not the whole. So it's a large group and they outfit them with old sacks. The word there means mended sacks. In other words, you, you, you've been on a long journey and they've ripped on the journey and so now you've had to mend them along the trip. They've got torn bottles, wine bottles, ripped because they're old and they don't stretch anymore so they have to be patched up. They've got old shoes that have been clouded upon their feet. It means patched by different colored material. They were an interesting lot here. Again, implying a long trip since they couldn't get matching material to repair their shoes. I know it might be in vogue today to have different colored shoelaces. When I was growing up, you get made fun of for that. And that's probably what it was like back then too. So they had mismatched looking shoes and shoelaces and latches on their sandals and stuff. And so it tended to lend credence to their proposal that they were on a long trip. And their bread was dry and crumbling. Moldy means crumbling. If you ever had bread that's been sitting out for a long time, it is not good. I mean, it starts to get hard and it falls apart while you grab hold of it. It's, it's like a crouton, but not. 
And they travel to Gilgal to speak with Joshua. So Joshua, by this time, since the kings have hesitated, since Gibeon won't join their alliance, they have actually left the valley and they're back in the area east of Jericho near the Jordan River where their main camp has been. Again, the Gibeonites not joining the alliance meant that the other kings couldn't attack Israel while they celebrated up north. And with no further instructions yet, Israel just goes back to their main camp. So the Gibeonites approach them there with an offer. Make a league, a covenant with us. These Hivites, the Gibeonites, they had heard that Israel was sent by God to bring judgment upon the Canaanites. We know that because Rahab said that they all knew that. I don't know if they did know that Israel could make alliances with nations who weren't in the land, but whether they knew that or not, that is their plan. But even with their planning, Israel's quite wary. No one's been friendly to them up to this point, not even their own cousins, the Edomites or the Ammonites, and then the Moabites who were actually distant relatives, they fought with them. So they don't accept them at first, and they bring up two problems with their proposal. Verse 7, the men of Israel said unto the Hivites, peradventure, you dwell among us, and how shall we make a league with you? So the tribal leaders here, the men of Israel, they bring up two problems with their offer of a covenant. They say, well, what if you live amongst us? What if you're lying? That's the first problem. We're not allowed to make deals with people who live in our midst. And secondly, how are we going to make a covenant with you? Covenants are based on agreements by two sides. You don't walk up to somebody and go, hey, you're going to be my spouse, right? Or, hey, you're going to go into business with me. That was just something two people need to agree upon together. So you don't just walk up to somebody and go, hey, make a deal with us. You have to discuss terms of the deal. Terms of the deal. You're going to cook me food every night. Then I'll marry you. Right? Just kidding. Back then, yes, but not today. What are they willing to bring to the table? What are they willing to bring to the table? Israel needs to make a deal with them. Well, verse 8 is the answer to their objection. And they said unto Joshua, we are your servants. That's their offer. Now, this is not an offer to be slaves. The word here, we are your servants, is a common Middle Eastern phrase to express politeness and friendship. In other words, we'll bargain with you. And when we're your servants means we'll bargain with you. We want this league. What are your terms? You know, let's, let's sit down and talk and let's bargain. But at this point, Joshua steps up and he's like, no, 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 no. That's not enough for me. He wants to know exactly where they're from. Joshua said to them, who are you? And from whence come you? Where have you come from? I want to know details. But what's interesting is that instead of telling them where they're from, they tell Joshua why they've traveled so far. Verse 9. And they said unto him, From a very far country your servants are come because of the name of the Lord your God. We have come here from a far distance because the reputation and fame of the Lord your God has come to us. We have heard about his character. We have heard what he's like. We have heard the fame of him and all that he did in Egypt. The word there, fame, it means a well-known honorable status. We have heard that your God is the best God. Your God is a God of gods. And what he did to all of Egypt. They've got really strong gods, but your God whooped their gods. And we also heard all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side, Jordan to Sihon, king of Heshbon, and to Og, the king of Bashan, which was at Ashtaroth. Wherefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country, they spoke to us, saying, take victuals, food supplies with you for the journey, and go to meet them and say unto them, we are your servants. We want to make a deal with you. Therefore, now make a deal with us. And here's proof. This is our bread we took hot. 
Man, it was right out of the oven we took for our provision out of our houses on the day we came forth to go unto you. But now behold, look at it. It's evidence. It's dry and it's moldy. And these bottles of wine which we filled, they were new. But look now, they're torn. And these are garments and our shoes. They become old by reason of the very long journey. So instead of telling Israel where they're from, they try to trick Israel by explaining that their motives are spiritual and by showing proof of their long journey. There is some proof to the Gibeonites' claim. They had heard all that God did to Egypt and anyone else who had opposed Israel. It is possible that they have some fear of God. The lying and deception shows they don't have a love, a love for God yet. Now, this is the difference between intellectual belief and saving faith. In James chapter 2, verse 19, it, it makes a bold claim. James basically says, you tell me you believe. He says, well, I'll tell you something. You believe that there is one God? That's great. The demons also believe and tremble. Now, certainly the demons are not good, right? <laughs> they are not admirable beings. They're not creatures that please God. Certainly to believe and even be afraid of God, to believe that he's the best God, to believe that he's the only God, well, that's just intellectual belief. That's not saving faith. So despite their fear of God, their actions prove they still have more in common with the demons, which is why Israel should not make a treaty with them. But look at what verse 14 says. And the men took of their victuals, and they did not ask counsel at the mouth of the Lord. And so Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the princes of the congregation swear. They also made a covenant. They promised unto them, we won't harm you. We will work in harmony together. The men who took these victuals will learn later on that these were the leaders of Israel's tribes, including Joshua. He examined the evidence, the forensic evidence that was in front of him, and that was enough for him. And they did not ask counsel at the mouth of the Lord. Now, it's interesting. The word mouth there, it's the same word used in verse 2 when it describes how the Canaanites had gathered themselves together to fight against Israel with one accord. The idea is of aligning yourself together. So they took of their food, they examined the evidence, instead of aligning themselves with God. Instead of aligning themselves with God, they decide to handle this decision on their own. And as a result, they end up deceived. And so they made peace, friendship with them. And they made a league. We don't know the terms of the covenant other than Joshua committing not to fight them. They made a league with them to let them live. We don't know what other terms they made. But whatever else was in the treaty, this was a solemn promise, which Joshua must now honor. And because the leaders of Israel swear as well, the word there means to make a promise by an oath. God strike me dead if I don't honor my part. Well, now, not just Joshua must honor this treaty, but all Israel must honor this treaty. The book of Israel is all about the victorious Christian life, but it doesn't just give us lessons on what to do to experience that life. It gives us lessons on what not to do, what to avoid. And if we're going to experience that victorious life, we can't decide to handle situations on our own, no matter how small they may seem to be. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you probably all have heard it hundreds of times. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your what? That's what they did here, right? In contrast to doing what they did, it says, but in all your ways acknowledge him. 
you know, when I, I would sing the songs, I would say the verse, and I always kind of focused on the first part, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding. What does it mean to acknowledge him in all your ways? It means to bring him into the picture, to take him into account in everything you do. And if we do that, he will direct our paths or literally make them straight. The word direct means to lead you straight along. Victory for a Christian means knocking down hell gates, right? Moving forward, not battening the hatches and hunkering down. That's what Israel had to do. They had to move forward, take the promised land. And Jesus commanded us to do business until he returns. Our business, his business, is making disciples in whatever sphere of influence God places us. And we cannot do that if we're going to trust in ourselves. Because even well-intentioned decision-making will go wrong. So I ask you this evening, before we continue on, do you consult the Lord on everything? Or do you try to handle things on your own? I've had so many occasions where I've tried to handle things on my own without meaning to, but just not taking the Lord into account. And usually, usually it (laughs) backfires on me. Now, does it mean that you can never be deceived if you're trusting in the Lord and acknowledging him? No, we do not know everything. We don't always hear perfectly, even when we're seeking the Lord. So we can still be tricked, but certainly this could have been avoided if they had just gone to the Lord. Well, once the treaty is complete, everyone is happy, but eventually the truth comes out. Look at verse 16. And it came to pass at the end of three days after they had made a league with them that they heard, we don't know how they found this out. Maybe someone messed up in a conversation from the Gibeonite delegation. I don't know. But whatever it was, they heard that they were their neighbors and that they dwelt in the land. And so Israel decides to investigate. Verse 17. So the children of Israel journeyed, and this was the army (laughs) journeyed, and they came unto their cities three days later. Now their cities were Gibeon and Chepirah and Be'eroth and Kirjath-Jerim. Kirjath-Jerim is a city that Israel had known about before. When Israel came to invade the promised land the first time, they came up from the south. Kirjath-Jerim was one of the cities that came out and fought against them and whooped them. Because remember, they did decided they're not going to go in. Why'd you bring us up here to kill us, God? And then God said, fine, you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years and die. And your children, who you're so worried about thinking I'm going to kill, they'll go take the land. They said, no, 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 we'll go up now, God. Your kids ever do that? Kids ever do that? Oh, I'll obey now, Daddy. No, it's too late. Consequences are consequences. Israel went up anyway. And they got whooped by these guys. So you can't imagine what it's like for the armies to crest over whatever hilltop it was and see the very people who killed them 40 years earlier. And so it says the children of Israel did not smite them because the princes of the congregation of Israel had sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel, but they are mad, mad, mad. All the congregation murmured, means to grumble against or to blame the princes, the leaders of the tribes. You know, Israel had already lost God's favor once when Achan sinned at Jericho. Allowing unbelieving Canaanites to live was another violation. The people are very upset because their leaders have now put God's favor at risk again. Leaving them alive is disobeying God, but breaking a promise is also disobeying God, right? So what can the tribal leaders do to make things right with God. Well, you ever heard your mom or your dad say, two wrongs don't make a right? It's a catchy phrase. It's something that our culture still probably uses today to kind of communicate a truth, but it is true. (laughs) So often we don't listen to that truth. 
When we see a wrong, we decide to react wrongly in return. And Israel, if they go wipe these guys out, that's responding to a wrong with a wrong because they did make a promise. The leaders decide we're not going to try to fix a wrong by doing another wrong. Verse 19. As the grumbling and complaining is coming to them, the princes said unto all the congregation, we have sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. This verse is so important. It is so good. Like, if you struggle when you're being wronged to wrong somebody back, put this verse somewhere where you can see it on a regular basis. Because it gives you the added lesson we need to have that two wrongs don't make a right. And the added lesson is this. When confronted with what you don't understand, fall back on what you know to be absolutely true. They're confronted with a situation that looks like a no-win. Well, if we don't kill them, we're disobeying God. But if we do kill them, we're disobeying God. What do we do? Well, let's forget about that for a minute. Let's fall back on what we know we must do. And what they know they must do is that we have sworn unto them, not just to them, but by the Lord God of Israel. And then there's a colon, which means they paused and let that sink in. When they were confronted with what they had no clue what to do, they fell back on what they knew they must absolutely do, which is keep their promise, not to the Gibeonites, but to God. Does that make sense? They needed to keep their promise to God. And so they said, now, therefore, we may not touch them. That is a very mild word. It means to strike violently. We may not violently do anything to them. Now, you might be thinking here, but they were lied to. Doesn't that invalidate their oath? Not in the least. This wasn't a simple agreement. Israel brought God's name into it. And therefore, God's name would be tarnished if they broke their promise. See, this is why Jesus said, don't make a vow to God. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Because when you make a vow, whether it's a marriage vow or a business vow to God, God expects you to keep it. The Israelites did not seek God when making their decision to accept the proposal of the Gideonites. For us to make good and wise decisions, we must invite God into every aspect of our lives. Even when we think we know the right decision, it is good to wait on the Lord, seek Him in His Word. The promise we have is that if we seek God, we will find Him when we search for Him with all of our heart. God isn't looking to stay away from us but to lead us in every scenario of our lives to a life that is abundant and overflowing with His presence. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.